My first talk is called uh, Authentic Joy. Uh, authentic Joy and Authentic Freedom. So basically, I hope, hopefully, what I can do is just kind of give you an intro to the book uh, to the best of my ability. It's been a while since I read it, and uh, this is what I remember most uh, authentically from the book is authentic joy and authentic freedom, because um, that's what we're all really looking for in the end. So we'll start with a prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> this is from St. Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophesying, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And may the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly. And may your spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Lord Jesus, we pray this morning as we begin this Lenten series that you deeply touch the hearts of all here present. We ask, Lord, that they may encounter you in a profound way, that they might have a felt sense of your presence in their lives and in their hearts as they journey through this time of Lent. May they enter more deeply into the disciplines that they may practice during this time. And may they understand that all of this is for love of you. May we keep you at the forefront of our minds and our hearts and all that we do during this Lenten season and throughout our lives. And we ask the Blessed Virgin Mary, who did that better than anyone, to intercede for us during this time as we pray. Hail Mary. Full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, <clears throat> I picked this uh, letter to the Thessalonians because we hear this, this, part, this, this, this part at the end of the... This is the very last chapter of the first letter to the Thessalonians. And there's this last exhortation to the people that he's writing to, right? And it's the three keys, I think, to holiness. And that is, rejoice always. Okay, if, if anybody's taking notes, this is where you take notes. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And give thanks in all circumstances. <clears throat> now, if you look at these, I'll repeat them one more time. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. Now, if you look at these three from just an exterior point of view, they're insane. Okay? How on earth, number one, do you rejoice always? Any human being, any human being who has lived in this world... To rejoice always is crazy, okay? Second, pray without ceasing. How on earth do you pray without ceasing and still live your normal life? How do you pray without ceasing and go about your business? How do you pray without ceasing and shovel, you know, eight inches of snow this morning? How do you do that? And third, which this one drives me nuts the most, give thanks in order. All circumstances, in every circumstance that you're in, always give thanks. Now again, 
from the point of view of just a worldly view of how we live our lives, these three are ridiculous. But as G.K. Chesterton said, the Catholic faith is a religion of paradox. Right? You look at it, you see it all the time. So we live only by dying. In order to be the greatest, you must be the least. So it's, it's, it's this constant shifting, this constant countercultural paradox that the world cannot understand. That's why Paul says, he says, Christ crucified for us is the glory of salvation, but the, for the world is a stumbling block. And the power of God is made perfect where? In weakness. I mean, all of these are just this, these sort of backwards statements. I mean, even looking at the Beatitudes. My gosh. You want to talk about a crazy lifestyle, the Beatitudes? You know, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek. They will inherit the earth. You know, last time I checked, the people that inherit the earth are the dictators. You know, the conquerors, not the meek. And so Jesus has this really, I mean, he takes... I, 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 Cardinal Dolan, um, it was about four years ago, he gave the, um, the, the homily for the diaconate ordination over in Rome. And we were in St. Peter's Basilica. And he said that Jesus basically took the world view of how humanity understands the world and flipped it upside down. He flipped it on its head. And then he made this beautiful poetic connection. He said, if you look at Peter's life, because we're in St. Peter's Basilica, right underneath us are the bones of the, of the Prince of the Apostles. So if you look at Peter's life throughout it, he could not understand why Jesus had to suffer. He could not understand why Jesus, who was the greatest, wanted to humble himself to be the least. Right? I mean, and we, we take notice of this all the time. You're right? Peter comes up and Jesus says, who do people say that I am? He says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of John. You are Peter and you will be the rock and the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Great. Then he says, and by the way, I am going to suffer and on the third day I will, or I will die and on the third day I will be raised. And Peter says, God forbid, Lord, that that would ever happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So from Pope to Satan, it's literally like two verses. And then Peter is constantly, you, you look at the transfiguration. He's up on Mount Tabor. And what's happening on Mount Tabor? The glory of the Messiah. And what does Peter say? I'm going to paraphrase for you. Because in the scripture it says, Lord, it's good we're here. We should build some tents. <laughs> right? I love the scriptures. What he's really saying is like, yeah, this is what I signed up for. Like, let's stay here. And Jesus is like, no, we got to go down. Down the mountain to Jerusalem to die. And even at the very end. Peter has a sword in the garden. Why does he have a sword? You ever thought about that? I had like three or four years ago, I had this epiphany moment. I'm actually pretty sad to admit this as a priest. But I had this epiphany moment. I was praying over the agony in the garden and Peter, you know, swinging his sword. And it said that he cut off the man's ear. And I was kind of praying through that and using my imagination. And it struck me. What was Peter actually trying to do? He was trying to kill the man. But he was a fisherman, and he was really bad with the sword, and he missed his head and hit his ear. Seriously. And why does he have a sword? 
Because he does not yet understand Jesus' mission. He loves him intensely. He will stand by him through thick and thin, but he cannot figure out what the Lord is trying to do. And Cardinal Dolan pulled it all together. It was one of the greatest homilies I've ever heard in, on, on St. Peter. He said, Peter did not understand Jesus until his death. And I don't know if you remember, but how was Peter, how did he die? He was crucified upside down. And Cardinal Dolan said, and as Peter hung topsy-turvy looking at the world, he understood what Jesus came to do. Flip it upside down. So that it's not power through domination and manipulation. It's through service and love. It's not by going out and making a name for yourself. It's about serving others. And Peter only understood that in his heart as he lay hanging upside down, dying. It was the most touching homily I've ever heard on the Prince of the Apostles. So I might use it over there. Don't tell anybody. (laughs) But it's important to understand that Paul also turned the world upside down. He really did. Like as, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Albert Whitehead. He was a philosopher and he said, as Plato is a footnote to all of philosophy, St. Paul is a footnote to all of Catholicism. He sums up in his letters, it's almost like a dissertation, an explanation of the Gospels. And so he starts out, I want to just start out, rejoice always, okay? And I don't care who you are, (laughs) this is impossible. From a purely worldly standpoint, I mean, there's certain parts of the day where I may rejoice, right? I may be super excited, but there's a lot of times where there's a lot of ups and downs, and it's really hard for me to have like this upbeat personality okay and that's it's important to know that saint paul is not talking about an upbeat personality he's not talking about a bubbly person who always you know those people you just they drive you insane like you got to get mad at some point like you (laughs) you want to just shake him and be like get mad you know because they there's no human being that can live that way and that's not what he's talking about He's not talking about being like psychologically upbeat. There's a different type of joy that wells up from the spirit. And that joy goes beyond the passions and it goes beyond the mind. Mother Teresa is a beautiful example of this. I don't know if you, how much you know about her, but she was a really, really intense woman. We all know that, right? Really intense woman. But the bulk of her life was dark. You know, there's been a lot of writings that have come out, and you know, the world runs with these and says, oh, she was depressed. No, she was not depressed. If you read them, there is this joy that wells up in her heart, even in the midst of sheer darkness. She has no idea where God is. It's what we call the dark night of the soul. She doesn't feel loved by God. She, doesn't, she, she sees him nowhere. In fact, there's, a, there's a, a true story. She was at a, a holy hour, and this is when she was older. She was in a wheelchair, and she was sitting in the wheelchair, and they were having a, a adoration. And she was sitting towards the back, and the archbishop was sitting up front, and she wrote on a little note and said, give this to the archbishop. And they get, came, you know, the MC came up and gave it to the archbishop. During the holy hour, they're praying, and he opens it, and it says, where is God? I mean, imagine getting that from Mother Teresa. Where is God? But yet, anytime you saw her, there was a joy inside of her that was like palpable. You could, 
she would get around people and they would just start smiling and she exuded. She was a conduit of God's grace. And so the closer you get to God, the more he overtakes you. And so there's this deep joy that wells up from the spirit, from the heart. That's why you see in the Psalms all over and over and over again, it says that, you know, a, 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 a spring of water will well forth, right? One that is a, the eternal spring will well forth. And Mother Teresa experienced that. But she was not always upbeat. She wasn't. So there's this joy that comes from knowing something. And that is that God loves you. And that he's in charge of your life. And that no matter what happens, that this world is not the end. It's really not. That's why I tell people when I, you know, you work with people who maybe are terminally ill. Or people who have an an incredible amount of suffering. Or people that have been diagnosed with something. And they say, you know, will you please pray that God takes this away? And oftentimes I say, no, I won't. What I will pray is that you see God in this. That you encounter God in this. And if God so wishes, he will take it away from you. But here's the kicker. I was talking to the confirmation kids about this. As we were talking about miracles. Even if God takes away and you have a miraculous healing, you know what's going to happen? Eventually, you're going to die. I mean, you can't escape that. And the only one that ever did escape that was Lazarus. And I got to think that Lazarus, although happy he was reunited with his family, probably was like, man, I got to die again. You know, like, he's the only man to ever die twice. So what our focus should be in this life is union with God. And, and, And to come to an understanding that no matter what we're going through, As bad as it might be, he's there. And he proved it to us right there. That I will be with you no matter what, no matter how hard it gets. I have gone to the depths. So that you don't need to be afraid anymore. It's the other story I told. I don't know if you guys have ever been to the Holy Land. I had an opportunity when I was in uh, seminary. And I I never saw this, but I heard about this. And I I hope it's true because it's great. So shepherds in the Holy Land, when they get to a dangerous crossing, you know, it might be brambles or it might be like a, you know, a creek or something. And the sheep, sheep don't want to go across it. And so what the shepherd does is he picks up the, the smallest lamb he can find and he crosses over the dangerous part. And then he stands on the other side holding the lamb and the lamb is bleeding and the other sheep know it's safe. Because if the youngest, smallest, most vulnerable can make it across, of course they can. And when I heard that, I'm like, that is the cross. That is the Lamb of God. And the Father took him over the pangs of death, over the pangs of suffering, and stands on the other side of eternity, holding his Son. Like we have in our church, the Father holding the cross. And says, it's okay. You don't need to be afraid anymore. And that's why in this life it is so important that we have union with God. Because the more we know him, when the time of death comes, I mean, all of life is a preparation for death. So that we're ready. And you can see it. I often see it at the hospital. You can see when people are prepared. And you can see when people have not cared a bit about God. And it's a scary thing. I'm not saying I'm... Judgment's up to God. <laughs> but, 
But when you look at somebody on their deathbed, it can be a very, very scary moment. And so there is this type of joy that comes from knowledge. Knowledge of God being with me. Knowledge of God guiding my life. I don't know if you've seen the movie Into the Great Silence. Uh, it's this movie about, about Carthusian monks. <clears throat> the Carthusians are the hardest of the hardcore. Like in the Catholic Church, maybe even like, I don't know. I, mean, I think they outdo the Buddhists. I think they outdo, you know, any, any monk. The Carthusians are insane. Like, if you don't have a calling to them, you will go insane if you live with them for an extended period of time. They sleep on a bed of hay. They keep a perpetual fast. <laughs> I mean, I struggle keeping my fast Friday. And Wednesday, I like a bag of Doritos. I'm like, no, right? <laughs> they keep a perpetual fast. They only break the fast. You ready? Christmas and Easter. Other than that, they eat like once a day. They bathe once a week. They keep the, what's called the great silence. That's why the movie is called Into the Great Silence. The great silence is they don't, they don't talk. And the only time they talk is when they pass each other in the hallway. And the thing they say to each other is, get this, remember your death, brother. Now, this sounds like a very morbid order, right? <laughs> so there was this, because they're so, like, austere and weird, there was a film crew in Germany that called the abbot and said, we would love to film a documentary on the Carthusians. Because you're these, this group of monks, and you're in the middle of nowhere, on a mountain, and everybody's like, what do those guys do? You know, like, who are they? They're weird guys. And they said, we'll pray about it, and we'll let you know. And the film crew said, great! They hung up the phone. You ready? <laughs> 13 years later, <laughs> they called and said, okay, we're ready. <laughs> and so the film crew came and filmed the entire movie. Now, if you get a chance to watch it, I recommend, uh, because we're first world Americans and we're constantly distracted, I would watch it in chunks. But it's a fascinating movie. Fascinating movie. It's all about these guys. And like, they go, and the whole movie's silent. They don't talk. <clears throat> Except there's one little part, and I don't want to give it away, because it's a great, it's a hilarious part. Within, in the, it's right in the middle of the movie. But what, what was striking about this is, after they got done filming this documentary... There were all these, you know, they, they said, you know, well, tell us about what you saw. Like, what was the most incredible thing you saw with these weird monks? And they all agreed, and this is what shocked the world. They said, what shocked us the most is that these men were the most joyful, loving, and free men we have ever met in our lives. And everybody's jaw just, like, dropped. Like, how is that possible? How can you have these crazy guys that sleep on hay, keep a perpetual fast, and say to each other, remember your death every day? Somehow, those guys are the happiest people that this film crew has ever met. Again, flip it upside down. There's a great part in the movie when uh, they, they interview this old guy, and he's old. <laughs> like, really old. And he's blind. And he, you can tell he's blind because his eyebrows are like... <laughs> like, he has no sense of how big his eyebrows are. They're huge, right? But he's just an, he, he's the only one that talks. And he's like the wisest and the oldest and the holiest of all the monks. And he speaks at the very end. And one of the things he says is this. And it, it struck me. He said, why be afraid of death or anything for that matter? 
Fear and death are the fate of all human beings. But the closer one brings oneself to God, the more joy one will have. God sees everything in our lives. And because he is an infinitely good being, he always seeks our well-being. Therefore, there is no cause to worry about anything. We are loved, and this is a cause for rejoicing. You couldn't put a better synopsis on St. Paul's line, rejoice always, than what this man just said. That comes not from an upbeat personality, but because he has a deep conviction, a deep knowledge. Not a blind faith. He knows God. And he knows that he's going to be okay. This guy is blind, right? There's a, a moment again in the movie... Let me, I just want to find it so I can quote it for you because it, it, it's another one that just shocked me. He says this, I often thank God that he let me be blinded because I am sure this happened for the good of my soul. Can you imagine having a faith like that? <clears throat> I want to thank God, you know, for the loss of my job. Because that is good for the good of my soul. And you know, we sit back and you're like, you got to be kidding me. Like, these guys are idiots. Or, or, they're actually living what all of us are supposed to be living. Maybe, just maybe, throwing it out there this morning, maybe they're living what we're supposed to be living. Here's the good news. You don't have to sleep on hay. You don't have to keep a perpetual fast. You don't have to, you know, eat dirt in order to be holy. What you do have to do is have a knowledge of the love that God has for you. And you can only get that knowledge by spending time with him. The Carthusians don't do all the crazy stuff they do to get God to love them more. You understand that, right? They do all the crazy things that they do to get themselves to love God more. God already is pouring out everything he can. He, he can't help himself. And if you hear from John's Gospel, it says, God is love. The other one I love is is St. James when he says, Our God is an all-consuming fire. I love that line. An all-consuming fire. Because if you look at a fire, as a fire burns, at first, right, the log starts smoking and spewing and hissing. And you know, think about conversion, right? As God gets close, no, I don't want to do this. I remember even in my own life, like coming, like going to the seminary. I'm like, I don't want to do this. And then all of a sudden, the fire begins to like, if you ever look at a log, there's a point when the fire and the log are one. That the fire is actually in the entire log. And it's, glow, it's, the, it's so beautiful. And then what happens to the log is it turns into fire. So there's this beautiful, I mean, I love that, that image from St. James. And you can be caught up into that furnace. It's what we call prayer. It's what we call prayer. I love when uh, a friend of mine, Deacon, or not Deacon Keating, uh, Father Jim Rafferty, he's like a, a Yoda of the spiritual life, I call him. You remember Yoda from Star Wars? <clears throat> this guy is, I mean, he is, he's amazing. And he said, I always hate when people say I'm going to pray. Because it sounds so glum. I gotta go pray. And what they really mean is, I gotta go talk to myself in the church. 
He said what we should be saying is, I'm going to be caught up into the furnace of God's love. I'm going to enter into the all-consuming fire. And when you do that, there's a joy, there's a knowledge that comes from it. But the key is you have to spend time. And that's, and, and for that record, right, that leads into the second one. So he says, rejoice always, and then he says, pray without ceasing. Again, what does that mean? Pray without ceasing. Does that mean we walk around and say, Hail Mary's our fathers all day? You know, people are coming up and be like, hey, how you doing? Like, Hail Mary, full grace, Lord, is with thee, art thou. Hey! <laughs> you know, no, I mean, what, what Paul means is he means to constantly allow yourself to be in the presence of God. To constantly be in the presence of God. So what does that mean? That means when I'm driving, right, and somebody's in front of me and they're driving me insane, right, and I want, and I want to lose my mind. This <laughs> is like Deacon Bob said yesterday. He's like, he's like, if you ever need a reason to go confession, like if it's been too long, you're like, I need to go to confession. He's like, just drive down roster between 4 and 6 p.m. He's <laughs> like, you will want to go to confession after. You will need to go to confession after that. You know, but what does that mean? What, what Paul is saying, that pray without ceasing, is when you're in those moments that you start praying. That you start realizing that, look, I can either get insanely mad at the person in front of me, or I can just start talking to God. Because he's here anyway. I can be with him at any moment. That's a perk that God has. It's a perk of being infinite. You can be all places, all times, for all people. But so few of us take advantage of that moment because we don't have the awareness of what's going on. That's why one of the biggest things in the spiritual life is awareness. To be aware when you're having the self-dialogue, when you're, when you're living out of the ego. And once you're aware of that, you say, I don't want to live here. I want to live in relationship. I want to be in communion. And so how do you do that? It takes practice. But literally, all you have to do is start talking to God. All you have to do is allow your whole being for the moment just to stop and say, no, I'm in the presence of God. And if this is happening right now, there's a reason. And so I rejoice. I'm telling you, this stuff, when you sit back and you're like, this is, you're crazy. It works. It works, it works, it works. I'm telling you, it works. In some of the worst situations that I've ever been in, I'm just like, Lord, help me. I can't do anything. And some be something beautiful will happen. Something beautiful will happen. But we always have to realize that we are in the presence of God. And when you do that, you act differently. And I'm going to tell you why. Maybe you, this is, this is totally on me. I do this thing called uh, projection. It's a psychological term. So I like, whenever I go through, I just assume you go through too. So if I ever say we and you're like, I don't ever suffer from that. It's just me. Okay. <clears throat> so, but I'm guessing you've all done this before. So I'm, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm a good driver, but you know, I, I see a lot of the laws of driving as suggestions, <laughs> not so much as, as laws, right? So <clears throat> it's a suggestion sign, not a stop sign, right? So 
I, you know, I'm driving and I, tr- I try to do my best, you know, and whatever. And, but you know when I will drive a, perfectly according to the law? When there's a cop. <laughs> because he's watching me and I know that I can't break the law at that point. Now, this is a, it's a real kind of, you know, it's an analogy. It probably breaks down at some point. But if you think about that with you and God, not as, I don't want to make him sound like a cop. But the point of that analogy is, is that when I see the cop, I start acting differently because I'm in relationship to the cop. When I realize in my life that God is always present, he's always there. I am going to, I have to act differently. Life becomes different. And so that is what St. Paul means when he says, pray without ceasing. And for the record, you guys, you know, I, I, there's, this, there's this little thing I want to point out. Because I think, in, in, at least in my own life, like, I want to be good, but I kind of stink at it. You know, I really, really try, but I, dang it, like, I stink at it most days. Some days, I, you know, I do a little good, and I'm like, yeah. You know, and I get paid to be a Christian, so <laughs> I should do better than I do, right? But <clears throat> there is this movement within the spiritual life. And as you move, right, you, you also carry your body. You carry your broken human nature. And so you might go deep with God in some areas, right? But you're still hanging on to this broken human nature, which, ta- which is taking more time. And St. Paul talks about this too. Romans chapter 7, when he says, I wish I could do the things I want to do. But every time I try to do the good, I always do the bad. What the heck is wrong with me? Now, we should take a lot of joy in that passage because St. Paul was like one of the greatest saints of all time. And if he struggled with it, we can struggle with it. But in the midst of that, you can still be not perfect and loved. Loved beyond your wildest imaginations. We had this, Father Paul Murray is one of my favorite teachers in the seminary, still alive. He was Mother Teresa's confessor. Uh, he wrote many books on her. He's this Irish Dominican, an amazing man. And he always, he has, you know, this deep Irish accent. And, and he would, he was like, every class we had with him, because he taught spiritual theology, was like a retreat. It really was. He's so, he was so deep into the spiritual life. And he always, his brother was a priest too. And he was a diocesan priest in Ireland. And he'd always say, whenever he's, he's like, tell us stories about the priesthood, he's like, and this reminds me of my story of my brother, who's the real priest. He's <laughs> like, I'm just a Dominican. But he'd always say, whenever, I, I have this, such a distinct memory of him. And I would, I, we would always see him and he'd be walking along. And he's kind of, you know, kind of out there. Because, <laughs> I mean, the dude's, he's holy. Whether he wants to admit it or not, he is. He, and he's in touch with the divine. But he'd be walking and he'd be like, Father Murray, how are you doing this morning? And he'd look over and he's like, I'm wicked. <laughs> but I'm loved. <laughs> and he would keep walking. And I'm like, that is such a great way of saying, like, the condition of the human being. Not that we're irredeemable. Not that we're broken beyond repair. But, like, I'm wicked. But I'm loved. You know, like, that God, as I said in the, in the homily this morning, He's so pleased with every little movement that we make. But he is never going to be satisfied until we're with him forever. He will never, ever stop until we're with him forever. So rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And then the last one, 
hold on, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. Um, is give thanks in all situations, right? Get, always give thanks. Now this, again, is, is a very, very, very difficult thing to do. Unless you're fulfilling the other two. If you're praying always, you know God's love, you know He's in your life, you know He's guiding you, which causes you to rejoice. And if you're rejoicing, even in the worst situation, somehow He's getting His way, so you should be thankful. Do you see how Paul's things, they all fit together? You pray without ceasing, which will cause rejoicing, and rejoicing will cause you to give thanks for whatever situation. And that brings freedom. This is the recipe for freedom. That no matter what happens, God has got my back. And I trust that. I want to tell you a story. I don't know if I've told you this story before. It was one of the most powerful stories I ever heard. We went to, uh, when I was in seminary, we had the opportunity to go to Ephesus. And uh, Ephesus is, it's an old city. If you ever get a chance to go, it's in Asia, it's in Turkey. And it's one of the most well-preserved ancient cities in the world. And it, it's crazy. Like, you literally are walking around, like, ancient Turkey. There's pillars everywhere. It, it looks like a city, but it's completely deserted. Right outside of Ephesus, it, up on this hill, is this little place called Mary's house. Tradition holds that Mary went to live here with St. John... Uh, after she, uh, after the crucifixion and John, it says, you know, Jesus says, you know, behold your son, son, behold your mother. And it said he took Mary into his own home. And so he took her and brought her to Ephesus. And then later John, because of his preaching, was exiled to the island of Patmos, which is right off the coast, right off of Ephesus. So they're really close to each other. But tradition holds this is where Mary lived. And in this place, there is a spring that wells up from underneath uh, the house. Okay? It's this little tiny house, and they found, they did archaeological, you know, di- archaeological digs, and they found, it's actually kind of cool, there, there's one tomb, and then around it are all these other tombs. They circle all the way around, and they're all pointed inward. And the cool part is, there's bodies in all of these tombs, and in the center tomb, there's no body. <clears throat> okay? So they're saying that we hold the, you know, the doctrine, the dogma of the assumption, that Mary was assumed into heaven, so it makes sense. Anyway, who knows? Could be John's grave. I don't know. But it's kind of neat. Anyway, so there's this little, this little spring that wells up. So we went to this place. And we were sitting and we were praying in the house. And uh, all of a sudden, this super old Franciscan came up. Like, really old. And, like, he was, like, legitimate Franciscan. Like, he had patches all over his habit and this big beard. No, you know, he had no shoes on. So, like, I mean, I was like, this is St. Francis. <laughs> like, St. Francis, this is legitimately probably what he would have looked like. Maybe it's even him for all I know. And he came up, and he's like, he, we started talking to him. He could speak English. And he was telling us all about uh, the, the, how, the, or the, the, the shrine. And we said, you know, are there miracles that happen here? Because, you know, Lord's has the water, and there's all these miracles. He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, I've seen many, many miracles over my time as, as being care, caretaker of, of this place. And we're like, what's the greatest miracle you ever saw? And he's like, well, come with me. I'll show you. And so he kind of, you know, <laughs> it took us like a half hour to get to 100 yards. But we get over there, and he opens up this, like, I don't know what it was. It was like a little shed or something. And inside was, like, all these, like, crutches and wheelchairs and, and braces. And we're like, what is this? And he's like, this is everything that people left after they were healed. 
We're like, no way. And we're like, well, what's like the greatest one? And he's like, he's like, see in that back corner of that wheelchair. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, about four years ago, a man came here. And the man <clears throat> had been in a car accident 20 years prior. And he was hit by a drunk driver. His wife and three children were killed. And he was paralyzed from the neck down. And we're like, for 20 years? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, he came here? And we're like, he's like, yes, he came here. And he said he went to confession and he drank from the water. And we're like, no, what happened? And he's like, and then he stood up and walked. And we're like, no way. Like, that's the craziest miracle we've ever heard. And we're all like, you know, freaking out. And the, the guy is like, boys, boys. And we're like, what? And he's like, I haven't told you the miracle. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, the miracle is that for 20 years, the man never lost his faith. After his wife and three kids were taken from him so unjustly, and he was paralyzed from the neck down. That is the miracle. And I will never forget that story because it, it, it encompasses pray without ceasing. Rejoice always and give thanks in every trial, in every situation. That man, although not canonized, was probably a saint. And we can live there. We can live there. So my encouragement for you during this Lenten season is to try to, in, in situations that you get into, where you're mad or where you're frustrated, is to Try to become aware. Even when you get up in the morning, Jesus, through your Holy Spirit, give me awareness today of when I need you or when you're with me. And then go out into the world and get into different circumstances, different situations. And when you become aware, bring God into it. And I promise you that although as hard as life can be sometimes, that you will indeed... Rejoice always if you pray without ceasing, and then you will give thanks in every situation. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Do you guys have any questions? pretty easy it's a pretty easy formula